Well, when you did come in, you, you got this card from uh, Sufficiency of Scripture's Ministry. We call that SOS. And again, it's just my privilege to have uh, Brother Shannon Hurley here with us this Sunday to open up the Word. I think it was last summer um, we got to hear from Brother John Paul, uh, our missionary there in Uganda. He was here with Sarah and the family. Well, Shannon, he uh, works alongside John Paul there in Uganda. In fact, Shannon started SOS Ministries. There's a number of other things that he does out there. He's got the Legacy Academy. He's got the Shepherds Training Center. They're training men from all over Africa, really, to be equipped with the Word, and then they get sent out uh, to become pastors of local churches, uh, pastoring a local church there, Shannon. Um, he's a master's alum. I can go on and on about all the great things that I love about him. If you talk to him, uh, apart from his relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, probably his most valued treasure here is his wife, Danielle. And you can see uh, he's got eight kids. I asked Brian this morning just to confirm. He's got eight, right? And he said, well, it kind of depends on what day it is. And uh, what he meant was he's got, you know, 30, maybe sometimes more people in the house. And Shannon, uh, not just opening up his home for hospitality, but he just loves the people that he has an opportunity to minister to. And one of the things, just to give you a, a little glimpse into his personality and his passion, last night, you know, he's coming in from Africa hot off the plane, right? So I got to do what I got to do. I got to get the guy some tacos. So I make my way down to meet the era, get some carnitas and some carne asada, and we're enjoying some tacos. But the kids, it's bedtime for them. And I'm watching Shannon chomp down on his burrito, and he's just got this big old smile on his face. I'm looking at him like, what's going on? And he's just smiling because he can hear the boys having a good old time in the bedroom. They're supposed to be going to bed, but they're laughing. And Shannon said, you know what? I just, I love when people are happy. He just, he was just glowing. I just love to hear laughter. And I think if there's anything that characterizes this brother is that very thing. Because he loves to see people happy, he knows that for people to be eternally happy in Christ, the gospel needs to go out. And so he is passionate about the truth. He's passionate about the gospel. He's passionate about missions, the nations. And so I'm so grateful that you get to hear the heart of a missionary, the heart of a pastor, the heart of a faithful disciple. So Shannon, come and bring us the word, brother. Woo! Come on, how are we here? Good, are we all right? Come on, you guys in the back. We know how you back row, back row Baptists are. Are we all right? We want to see you're happy. Let's go. Come on. Well, what a joy it is to be here. <laughs> Praise the Lord. As we say in Uganda or in Luganda, Makama Yebazi Bwe, and you guys are supposed to say Amina. Amina. Makama Yebazi Bwe. Amina. You just said, Praise the Lord. I said, Praise the Lord. And you said, Amen. And what a joy it is to be here. I am a missionary in Uganda, Africa, and uh, <coughs> I have the joy of, of, of uh, having been there 16 years. It's been a crazy journey, crazy journey, going, taking my family, moving to Africa and seeing what God is going to do. You do it all by faith, and then when God just does beyond what you could ask and imagine, you get to stand in all of him, amen? And I get to come here and I get to rally the troops. I get to uh, challenge each of us to heavenly living, and it's my joy and honor to do that. Uh, if you guys would, uh, let me just tell you quickly about our ministry, just so you're aware. First of all, I wanna thank you for supporting the Stepanian families. Can I clap for you? I'm clapping for you. Well done. Thank you for that. We praise the Lord. And let me just give a report. They are all that and a bag of chips. Uh, they are doing an awesome job with us in Uganda and uh, just faithful, very close with us. I told them when they came that I was going to leave and they would th think so much of you that they would think that he's the Pope. And uh, then he said, oh, don't make him think he's the Pope. Just make God great. I'm like, okay, that's awesome. And uh, John Paul is really, the Stepanian families are a tr true blessing, and we want to just thank you for supporting uh, them as a family. We want to make sure you know about SOS Ministries. We don't want you just to have a missionary on the wall. 
We want to make sure that you guys with great intimacy know us as a mission and that we are in your hearts. That when we do things, you're eagerly awaiting to see what God's going to do. And so with that, I would joy come and just tell you more about our ministry. We have two goals, two ambitions. One, we moved small into a small little village community called Kubami Twe. Can you say Kubami Twe? You say, no, I can't say that. You didn't even try. <laughs> Kuba Mitwe. It means hit the head. In the Buganda kingdom, they used to do executions in our village. That's why it's called Kuba Mitwe. And, uh, and, and literally, it was a place that in the Buganda kingdom, they would, if people did bad crimes, they would come and be executed there. And it was just promiscuous, doing all kinds of crazy, just godless things. And, uh, <clears throat> and that's been the history of our village. Well, we came in with the mission, of, first mission of reaching that community for Jesus Christ. So we've been in Uganda 16 years, in our village 13 years, and literally we've been able to see God completely transform a whole society. And that's what the gospel does, Right? I tell many people that we are helping people know the king as America abandons the king. And, uh, and let me just tell you, there is joy in knowing God. There is joy in doing things the king's way. And uh, we get the joy of coming into a village, coming into a community, and helping that community know our king. Amen? And, uh, and so it's, that's our first mission. Our second mission is to strengthen churches throughout Uganda. And uh, I work with the Baptist Union of Uganda. There's 1,500 Baptist churches. I work with those, all of those churches with the leadership. We do conferences, leadership trainings, and we also work in training their pastors. And so we have a pastoral training center there that's in our first phase. We're looking at building phase two, phase three. We're looking at getting uh, additional people to help support that mission to get pastors put through all throughout Uganda. Right now, we have 60 men there that are being trained as we speak. And, uh, and so it's extremely exciting. With our ministry, we've got it all going on. We've got a, a, a primary school, a secondary school. There's even opportunities to support kids on our website. And, uh, and you know, we, we, we have a, a local church. Our local church is a little bigger. We have about 500 to 600 people on a Sunday morning come to our local church from our village. And so here you have a village that didn't know Christ. Then you come on a Sunday morning and bam, there's all kinds of children everywhere. Our children's ministry is crazy. It's called anarchy because many of these kids don't come with their parents. They go to our primary school. They've been reached by the Lord through our primary school. And now they come in and they come in droves to church on a Sunday morning. And so it is just fun and exciting to watch and see what God is doing in Uganda. And with how many are ready to come to Uganda? Come on. You guys, that's a terrible showing. Come on. Uh, there we go. All of the, those who are godly, raise your hand. Uh, what we want to see is next summer, 2023, this church right here, Grace Bible of Monterey, is sending a mission trip to Uganda, Africa. Come on. Right, Dom? And uh, actually, we did talk, and I'm going to give the promotion, the commercial, to have all of you come. Everyone has to go to Uganda. And uh, honestly, we would want that because I want to show you what happens when we get a vision and a passion to reach a community. We as a church often don't live on mission. We come, and we get fed here, and we go out, and we do nothing. And I want to show you what happens when we say, you know what, how can we reach our community for Christ? And how can we get vision and passion to reach those around us? How, if we live on mission where we're at, what will happen in our community? And that's what we want to do. We want you to come there so that we can send you back here with a greater motivation to live for kingdom purposes. Amen? And, and so with that, that that's exciting. And so I want, we do invite you to come and we want you to know. We don't want you just to support our missionaries. We want you to come and, and participate in our mission. And we want you to stand, uh, stand behind us and strengthen us and encourage us. I, we can't do it all. 
We, you have a part to play in missions. We have a part to play. And, uh, and together, we can impact Uganda. Uganda and Africa, God is moving in ways that are unprecedented within his church history. I really believe with all my heart that God is moving in Africa today in ways he's not moving around the rest of the world. And so for me as a missionary, it's exciting to be part of what God is doing. And that's what is exciting for us as missionaries. And please go on our website. Here is my card. Put this up. Pray for us. Pray for us. I just brought, give this to you so that you can pray for us as a family. You can pray for us as, a, as missionaries and, at, and with our mission. And on there's our website. Will you get our updates? Get our updates so that you can stay up to date in everything that God is doing there in Uganda. How many will get our updates? Come on. We're getting you to sign up to everything, all right? Get our updates. Go on so that you can be part of our mission. Uh, as we do things, you're praying, and that's how we're going to see God do incredible things. Amen? I want to come and go from my mission there in Uganda to your home here. I was asking Dom and, and his wife, what, and when it comes to preaching, should I give you kind of like a pep rally sermon or should I like teach you? And, uh, and I'm willing to do both, but they said, you know what, Shannon, teach us. Give us some content. And so that's what I want to do this morning. I want to come along and I want to encourage your own hearts. I want to encourage you, but you know, I thought to myself as I go to preach that the issue is this sermon works for those that are on mission. If you aren't on mission, this really doesn't apply to you. And so it almost needs a, a, a push to say, guys, let's live for what matters. Let's be who we are called to be. Let's live on mission. And so that's the pre-exhortation before the mission. Because the passage that I want to bring before you and I want to instruct you in is from Matthew chapter 10 verses 16 through 23. Matthew, at this stage in his mission, has just proclaimed the greatness of Christ as king, the greatness of Christ as king, everybody as king. And then he says, listen, I'm now going to take my messengers, my disciples, my apostles, and I'm going to send you out with the message that Jesus is the king. And I want you to go out and I'm going to tell you about the nature of this mission. And this is Jesus sending out his 12 into the mission field. And when he does that, he makes it very clear that I am sending you on a hard mission. And so I want to remind us right from the beginning that Christianity, from the beginning of its conception, has always been a something in which persecution happens. And I say this because we are going into dark days. Everybody knows it. Everyone in this room knows it. Even unbelievers know it. And I'll tell you a story in a little bit of my experience on the plane coming out here yesterday. Jesus proclaimed it. He declared it. He said in John 15, 18 to 20, he says, Jesus said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it, but before it hated you. And if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. We are going to be hated. 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul says, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be what? I'm sorry, will be what? Persecuted. History has proven these truths to be true. Tertullian is the man who said that the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. From the very beginning of Acts, we see Stephen being stoned to death in Acts 7, and James the Apostle in Acts 12 being stabbed with a sword, James the brother of Jesus being stoned to death, 
Peter had said that he was crucified upside down. Persecution is part of the world in which we live in. One man said about the apostles that the apostles suffered incredible persecution and died horrible deaths in the Christian cause. The only possible explanation for their zeal was that they'd actually seen, walked with, and eaten with the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. If Christ had not appeared to the apostles, they would all have died for a lie. The fact of persecution is evident. All of church history declares it. Polycarp and John Huss and William Tyndale, Hugh Latimer, John Hooper, they were all bound and burned at the stake. Why? For the gospel, for the message of Christ. And the Bible makes it very clear from the beginning of Matthew all the way to this point, he's declaring that you will be persecuted. Matthew 5, 10 and 11, he tells us to rejoice when we're persecuted, when, when people for the sake of righteousness insult you say all kinds of evil against you. They persecuted the prophets who were before you, so why would you think any differently in your own lives? Romans 8, 17 says, if you are a child, you're an heir. If you, what? He says, if you suffer with me, with him, that is with Jesus Christ. The great Anglican J.C. Ryle said, laughter, ridicule, and opposition and persecution are often the reward which Christ's followers get from the world. I say this in the introduction because for many of us, we've not experienced persecution. And oftentimes, if I might be honest, it's because we don't live in such a way that would cause persecution. We don't live with righteousness on our chests. We melt into the crowd instead of being a light to that crowd. The days in which we live are changing and we must stand out. We must be different. And with that, a message like Jesus has given to his apostles becomes so important because they prepare us for what's ahead. And I think that that is true. And that's why I have decided to open this passage with you. Look with me in Matthew chapter 10. I want you to see the words of Jesus directly before I expose them to you. Matthew chapter 10, read along with me, starting in verse 16. I'm sorry, I don't have the L. I have... The ESV, I've sinned, please forgive me. No, I'm just kidding. It says this, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of what? So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you will are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death and a father is child and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death and you will be hated by all for my sake, name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be, will be saved. We're making sure you're following along. And when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the sons of man, the son of man comes. This text before us is what I would call the fourth part of Jesus' instruction 
to these disciples. Jesus has already given them, called them to himself and entrusted a responsibility to them. He's already told them that they're to go to Israel and not to the Gentiles. He's told them how to minister in verses seven and eight and how they are to behave while ministering eight through 15. And now what he does in verses 16 through 21 is he explains to them, listen to me, the nature of their mission, the nature of their mission, and two, how they are to behave in light of this mission. I've broken this little section up into five parts. So I'm gonna give you how many parts? Everybody go like this. Come on, five parts. You're awesome. You look good. Five parts. Now I'm gonna give you a lot of content and I'm gonna organize this in a thematic way to bring out these things more poignantly to you. Forgive me as I do that, but I think it will be helpful to you. I want you to stay with me. I want you to listen as we go through this because I believe the instruction given to the disciples, though it was, it was in time for them, I think these same truths apply throughout every generation and will be helpful to us as we, as we encounter persecution. And so with that, let me look at the first part with you, the condition of the mission. The first part is the condition of the mission. Look with me at 1016. He says, behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. As sheep in the midst of wolves. You can imagine a commissioning service. Hey guys, disciples, I'm, I'm gonna send you guys <clears throat> on a mission, you're like, yes, awesome, I'm ready. <clears throat> Let me tell you about that mission. I'm gonna take all of you as sheep and I'm gonna send you to wolves. How many of you guys go, whoa, yes, awesome. How many of you go, uh, I'm out of here. Of course, that is the natural response, especially when we realize a sheep was the most dependent helpless, and stupid of all domestic animals. I'm glad that we're referred to as sheep. <laughs> and not only that, but a wolf is the sheep's greatest enemy. Wolves by nature love to devour sheep, love to tear them to pieces, mutilate them, devour them. So when you think of what Jesus is saying here, hey, I'm going to send you, my disciples, as sheep to what? To wolves. That's not very motivating. Who gives that as a motivation speech? Well, that's exactly where Jesus seeks to send his sheep. This is obviously not a place that a sheep would want to go. But my dear friends, listen to me when I say this. This is the calling of the Christian. This is the mission to which we've been called. This is what every Christian has been entrusted with this responsibility. We are called to go into a hostile world of ungodly, sin-bound souls and give them a message they don't want to hear. We're to go to men who hate the truth and love sin. And our job is to tell them that they are sinners and they are in rebellion against the King of kings and Lord of lords and they must repent of their sins. Listen, for their good. That's the message. And that's the nature of the mission. That's why it says in Romans 8.36, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep led to the slaughter. Dear friends, 
We are as powerless people. We are going with a powerful message as we are sustained by a powerful God. But may we never forget that we are still going toward to, into a community of hostile, ruthless people. People who want to tear us to pieces. And we've never seen it more so than we have today. When you look more closely at these verses, you realize that these men that Jesus is about to send out, they're going out in the name of Christ and they are, with detail, he tells them what's going to happen to them. Look with me in verse 17. It says this, Beware of men, for they will what? Deliver you over to the courts and flog you or scourge you. You're like, awesome. Awesome. Hand you over the courts and scourge you? Every city had a judicial system. And so every, every city would have local judgment locations. According to Jesus, his disciples were going to be brought before those local courts and punished with scourging, with flogging, flocking, with whipping. This scourging is what Paul said that he had received five times. These were 39 lashes. Basically, they were going to get a whooping, a bad whooping. In verse 18, it says, and you will be brought before governors and kings. Verse 21 says, brother will betray brother to death and father his child and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. I don't know if it's ever happened to you, but to be betrayed is a painful thing. And you often expect being betrayed by the world, but being betrayed by your own family, by fellow Christians, there's nothing more painful. But Paul even told the church in Ephesus that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock from among your own selves. Men will arise speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after them. This is part of this mission. Wolves don't remain outside, they come within. Verse 22, he tells us this. He says that, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Obviously, this is not meaning every single person, but is a general statement making it very clear that the general populace will not like you. Welcome to Christianity. This is Christianity. Dear friends, Christianity is not just the good days that we've gone through. We have been in Disneyland been able to act freely, promote Christianity everywhere. Everybody's like, yes, that's awesome. Those days are changing. In Canada, they just passed a law where you're not allowed to preach conversion therapy. I think you're aware of that. They're trying to push those same things on America, where if you speak against gay, lesbian, transgender lifestyles, you will be persecuted. You can't call them out of their sin. It's interesting. I, I was on the plane. I told you I'd tell you a story. I was on the plane with sitting next to an unbeliever. He noticed I was reading my Bible and made a comment as he sat down. I engaged him in conversation. And he said, honestly, I, I, I'm turning to God. I said, What? <laughs> Tell me about that. He says, I don't know what's going on in this world. But one thing I've been able to realize is the difference between spiritual things. I don't know what's happening, but the world is so filled with sin. This is what him is telling me. That you could see the devil behind it all. And he said that what's happening is 
I've realized they're all going against Christians. Like this is extremely insightful. And I said, I don't know what God's doing in your life, but God is opening your eyes. I, I get to stay away from, and I live in Africa. We're, we'll have plenty of housing available for all those that want to flee America. But listening to this whole transgender thing, they keep talking about wanting freedom. Freedom from what? What are they wanting freedom from? You know what they want freedom from? It's from God. It's from God and God's law. And this guy knows it. He sees it. He's like, the only thing people are intolerant about is God. And it's drawing him to God. And I, with great joy, I felt like I was going before the Ethiopian eunuch. He's all set up and prepared. I'm just bringing, I said, well, what about your sin? And we were able to talk about it. But here's an unbeliever witnessing what we are seeing. And so we have to be prepared. We have to be ready because the world wants freedom from our message. And they are pushing it down our throats. And we have to understand that this mission is a challenging one. It's a scary one. There are people in the world today that want to devour us. They want to hurt us. Why? Because the guilt of their own lifestyle, they won't want that, so they want to silence that guilt. And they want to condemn anyone who actually speaks against them. That's the nature of this mission. Say, Shannon, help me understand the why a little more clearly. Why are they doing this? Why do they want this? There's a bigger reason, which brings us to the second part of this message, the second part, and that is the cause of the persecution, the cause of the persecution. Look with me in verse 18, part B. Verse 18 says, and you will be dragged in the governors and the kings for my, what? For my sake, for my sake. Verse 20 says, because of my name. The biggest issue here is the name of Christ. The biggest name is their hatred for Jesus Christ. False religion reacts, John MacArthur says, against believers because it is governed or generated by Satan. Governments react against believers because it's under the power and the control of the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of this world. Ephesians 6 says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the power and against the forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. My dear friends, the issue as to why they hate us is because they hate our master. They hate our master. Jesus Christ is our captain. Jesus Christ is our master. He's our king. And Satan hates our master. And the world is Satan's followers. And so the moment you join God's army, you awaken Satan's servants against yourself. That is why 1 Peter calls him our adversary, the devil who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Therefore, the persecution we receive, Paul refers to as the brand marks of Jesus in Galatians 6, 17. Christ's afflictions, Colossians 1, 24. That we are sharing in the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. Our sufferings is why? Because of Jesus Christ. Because he's our master and Satan hates our master. These are sweet persecutions because they're for the sake of his what? His name. Don't forget it. In my greeting at the end of my email, I always say, for the king and his kingdom. Bum, 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 bum. That's what it's about, the king and his kingdom. Third part of this message involves 
the purpose of the persecution, the purpose of the persecution. And I find this very fascinating. Why? He says this in verse 18. And listen, it's insightful. It's not only for the name of Christ, for my name's sake, but it's also to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. To bear witness before them and the Gentiles. The apostles were to be ministers for the sake of bearing a testimony of Jesus Christ to the Jews and to the Gentiles. They are called to serve, listen, for the sake of others, for the sake of a testimony that was to go out. Our persecution is for the sake of others. Interesting to consider. That's why Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, than he lays down his life for his friends. The heart of missions, the heart of Christianity is our lives laid down for the world to bear testimony to the truthfulness of Jesus Christ. And it is through suffering that the gospel powerfully goes forth. It is through suffering that the gospel powerfully goes forth. That's why it is the blood of the martyrs that is the seed of the church. <clears throat> because persecution bears witness to the validity of our claim. The world knows we truly believe when we're willing to endure persecution, when we're willing to lay our lives down for the sake of that message. <clears throat> our testimony never shines brighter than faced with suffering. Our testimony, my dear friends, must go out because it, but it will come at a cost and the cost will be yourself. It will be, you will pay the cost for the sake of another. My journey to Uganda is crazy. I look back and I think, what a lunatic I was. First eight years of my ministry in Uganda were one major persecution, one major trial after the next. And it was, it was like, it wasn't just one at a time, it was like multiple, and you just felt like a machine gun was... But we knew it was for sake of the call, for the sake of the call, for the sake of the call. And our testimony among the Ugandan people never, sh never shined brighter than those days. And everybody said, okay, these guys are for real. Those guys are for real. Our testimony is made sure through persecution. It's an important principle to remember here, my brothers and sisters, and that is this. May we never forget that those persecuting us are not the enemy. They are the mission field. They are not the enemy. They are the mission field. As they persecute you, the testimony goes out, what, to them. We're living for the sake of the testimony. The testimony about Jesus Christ as Master and Lord. Which brings us to the fourth part of this teaching, and that is the advised reaction to persecution, the advised reaction to persecution. I want to 
go and begin to explain to you what, Paul, what Jesus says here as to how we're to respond. You say, Shannon, I, okay, we're going to be persecuted. I get it, but, but how am I supposed to respond? How am I supposed to react in the midst of all this? Run? Well, there is some great wisdom here. And I think if you have pens, take out your pens and write these down because as it comes, you can know the response that you are to make to these to the persecution to come. Jesus advises disciples in this section in five ways, and I'm going to quickly take you through them. And what's interesting to note is that despite the fact that Jesus behind the scenes is protecting each one of his sheep, there is a responsibility that we have in the midst of this journey. In the midst of ministering among the wolves, there is some responsibility given. And here are five advised reactions. First advised reaction in the midst of adversity is this. Be shrewd as a serpent. Be shrewd as a serpent. Verse 16. The ancient world, serpents symbolize wisdom. They were considered to be shrewd, smart, cunning, cautious. Christians, interesting enough, are to emulate serpents. They were to be shrewd, cunning in dealing with the unbelieving world around them. I love what John Max says about this. I want you to hear this. He says this, the basic idea is that of saying the right thing at the right time and the right place, of having a sense of propriety or good manners and appropriateness, and of trying to discover the best means to achieve the highest goal. It is neither wise nor loving to be needlessly accusatory or inflammatory when the Pharisees attempted to trap Jesus in, <clears throat> into either defending or condemning the Roman government by asking him about paying taxes to Caesar, he did not take the occasion to vilify Caesar or the Roman government. Vile, debauched, unjust government, uh, unjust and ungodly as they were, nor did he condone their wickedness. He replied simply, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. It is neither brave nor wise and neither spiritual or not, or nor loving to needlessly incite anger or court trouble. What is he saying? He's saying this. That sometimes we equate being bold in our faith with being stupid or abusive. According to Jesus, boldness does not run out wildly or emotionally and attack those opposing him. Rather, he thinks and makes calculated moves. Paul advises believers, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. As we engage this world, be wise, be smart. I look at the life of John the Baptist and I think to myself, that guy wasn't very smart. You say, can you say that about John the Baptist? I can say whatever I want. I'm just saying you don't tell Herod what he doesn't want to hear at that moment, right? Yes, he was a testimony that goes forth and we recognize God uses that, but here we're given advice. Be smart. Some may be called to go in the middle of Saudi Arabia and start saying Jesus loves you, but there might be wiser ways to go about it. And, and when we are engaging this war, we must be wise, smart. Second. Advice given, and again, this isn't my advice, this is Jesus's, all right? You say, I don't like that advice. Well, talk to Jesus, all right? 
Second piece of advice is be innocent or harmless as doves. Doves represent purity and innocence. This is referring to our lifestyle of righteousness. It is avoiding negative attitudes or approaches. It involves the positive attributes of purity. Godly wisdom has no part in anything that is impure, deceitful, or defiling. My brothers and sisters, we don't play by the same rules as the world. We are not leading a revolt. We are leaving a testimony. And with that, we must love our enemies. We must do good to those who hate us. Like Jesus, when we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we, when we are slandered, we try and calm ourselves down. We don't attack. When they attack, we absorb. That's what meekness is. Oh, there's such joy in this. Such safety in this. We must represent our message as Paul did, not from error or impurity or by way of deceit. Our behavior must validate our truth, not invalidate it. Therefore, we must live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. Never revolting to sin. And we have to be careful as our government engages us, we must walk in what? Obedience to God. We're not hating those persecuting. We're not slandering our governor regardless of what seems to be unwise. But we recognize behind all of this is Satan himself. And he's using agents who must be loved and honored. And we walk that very finely with that wisdom necessary. The third advice given by Jesus is we must be watchful. Verse 17, we must be watchful. Beware of men, for they will drag you before governors. We're to beware of men. Mankind, especially sinful mankind, are not nice. They're not nice. They're not kind. Remember, these men are Satan's agents, not for your good, but for your destruction. Therefore, literally, you would be on guard. Be watchful. Be perceptive. In essence, Jesus is calling them to understand the nature of these men. And be proactive to guard yourself against what might happen. Notice, you are still to go. But as you go, you are to be like a military man, watchful. Remember, Matthew 7, 6 tells his disciples, do not give what is holy to dogs. Do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you too. Pieces. In essence, you be wise in who you address with the truth. Some will want it, others will attack you. But beware, know the nature of those to whom you're ministering. Fourth advice given. Fourth advice given. <laughs> which seems to be an oxymoron, is in verse 19 when he says, you must not worry. <laughs> I love this. You must not worry. He says in verse 19, when they deliver you over, now listen to this, when you deliver you over, do not what? Worry. You are like a sheep, going in the midst of ravenous wolves, right? But don't worry. You got to love that, huh? Rest in God. Rest in his provision. Rest in his 
character. Remember in the Great Commission at the end of it, he says, go in all the world, make disciples. And then he says at the end, and I will be with you, what? Always, even to the end of the the world. Oh, my dear friends, there's something sweet about living on mission, something protective about being right there in the middle of the battle. And bullets are flying everywhere. But you hold firm. And listen, when you get in that battle, you're going to be attacked at every level from those people you never even thought about would attack you. You keep your feet girded. Keep them girded. And you look straight at your maker. And you rest in him. Oh, not afraid but stand resting in his sovereign goodness, his loving care and protection. Psalm 23 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear what? For you are with what? Me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. You sit, you rest, you lean on the fact that he will hold us fast as we sang. You don't need to worry. God will help you. That brings us to the fifth piece of advice. In verse 23, he says, flee to the next city. Flee to the next city. When persecution becomes so severe in one place that no one can longer, no longer minister in that place effectively, leave it and go on to the next city. My brothers and sisters, our mission is not a suicide mission. It's not a suicide mission. We are not going into the middle of Iraq and screaming, Jesus will save you in the streets. Persecution is never to be sought or endured for its own sake. We're not to wear persecution as a badge that we seek to put on. So we're not seeking to intentionally bring upon ourselves abuse. Be, so be wise if the, abuse, if the abuse is so severe that you can no longer effectively minister, pick up and what? And move on. Flee to the next city. If they don't want your precious truth, move on to someone who may want it. You may have a family member that every time you bring up Jesus... It infuriates them toward wrath. Feel free that maybe it's time to move on and your life testimony will shine forth no matter where you go. After all, Jesus says the mission will not end until the Son of Man or I return a second time, right? The mission continues. We are not called to be afraid, but we are not called to be unwise either. And as you look at the book of Acts, you see that God often led his will through persecution. What would happen is, is someone would come and bring persecution on the church and boom, it would spread it. Where? Everywhere else. <clears throat> so God was using the persecution to advance his name. Don't be afraid when that happens know that God's sovereign hand is behind it. Let it be used to guide you into his good and perfect will. In my ministry in Uganda, I moved there and the first three years was so painful, I can't even go into words at this time. But you look at back at it, and I just knew that I was like Joseph in the middle of a pit, and I knew that all things were going to work together for good because God's word promised it. 
And I just leaned back and allowed God's sovereign hand to lead me. And I tell you, 16 years later, now living in the village of Kubamitwe, there's no place I would rather be. God is so good. And he often uses those tough moments to lead us exactly into the place he wants us. Persecution is not your enemy, it is your friend. It will purify you, proclaim the testimony, and it will lead you. Jesus' instructions to his disciples are helpful for us even today as you engage in this. Let me give you the final part of his instruction. We go from the advice now to the end result of persecution. What is the end result? Here it is. Verse 22 says this. You'll be hated all for my sake, but for the one who endures to the end, he will be what? Saved. What is the end result of persecution? It is the amazing promise that the one who endures to the end will be, will be, will be saved. Will be saved. My brothers, the end result is glory. The end result is the presence of God. The end result is in the face of our master, hearing the words, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Oh, my dear brothers and sisters, the end of persecution is salvation. It's glory. God will reward the sufferer with himself. That's why Romans 8, 18, Paul says, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's to come. Persecution will prove who is truly a believer and who is not. And it will end in the joy for which we seek that future coming kingdom. In Matthew 13, 21, he speaks of affliction and persecution arising because of the word and some falling away. But when you endure to the end, it results in salvation. Brothers and sisters, life, the love of God will sustain us through all persecution. What does he say there in Romans chapter 8, verse 35? He says this. Who can separate us from Christ, the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or a sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Now in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure of this, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor, 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 angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. My dear brothers, we are entering into unique days. Days which we must show who we are. We must show our confidence in this truth. But let me tell you, dear friends, these are good days because they'll show our, they'll refine us to show the greatness of our love for God and his word. My dear brothers and sisters, I hope that we'll hear these instructions, by, instructions from our master 
and we'll go out and we'll live radically for our king. This church has a mission. That mission is right out here. We must go. We must go out there with all of our gusto that people would know our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for giving me this time to open God's word. Maybe pray for you as you go into his field. Father, we thank you for the sweetness of your word, how it engages us anew to live out your purposes. Lord, we know that we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. That's who we are. That's how we live. And so, Lord, we pray that you would aid us to go into this world and proclaim the greatness of who you are. That we go with boldness, with wisdom, with faith in you. We ask this for the praise, glory, and honor of your name, we pray. Amen.